I just want to say what a privilege it is to be here and to hear the, the voices of the church backstage. That is one of the best sounds in the world as a pastor is to go, hey, the Lord's people are letting them hear it. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. So I want to say uh, way to go and let's keep it going. Let's, let's do it now through the study of the word and hearing what God might have to say to us today. We're in a series called Old School, Lessons on God from the Schoolhouse. And this is a sermon that's basically, or the series is an analogy of sorts. It's, we experience this in school. So it is with God. And so we're looking at different aspects of life in school and then drawing parallels in scripture to uh, the kingdom of God and how it works. And so today we're going to talk about one of the... Um, one of the most important things to a young person when they go to school, and that's lunch, all right? It's probably important to the 11 o'clock service as well, all right? Lunch money. When you go to school, you leave with a lunch plan, all right? Uh, it may be that you, you, you had, a, in, the, in the old days, lunch pail with, like, your favorite, you know, superhero or whoever on the front, or I had a Dukes of Hazard one, I remember. At one point, I had an Incredible Hulk one at one point. I think I had a you know, Spider-Man or something like that too. And, um, and that was a way that you kind of said, hey, this is what I'm about, dude, when you carried your lunch around. That was good. Then uh, you might have had the, br the brown paper bag, which I think as I got a little bit older, I, I started doing that. My mom would put stuff in there, probably a sandwich, probably a little bag of chips or something, maybe a banana or something I was going to get rid of, and a fruit roll-up, whatever those are made out of, I think, was like dessert. Uh, in there, and maybe like a Capri Sun or something like that. So all those things were put in there. And I learned at a very early age that often those lunches were best used as trade bait. You could easily flip a lunch if you knew what you were doing and end up with what you wanted. You could trade a kid with, with, that didn't have a sandwich or something like that or trade his away. You know, you could, you could trade. You could get his Oreos for your fruit roll-up. You could get whatever. You could say, hey, I'll let you go first on the rings, plus this, if you'll give me that. And by the time it was done, uh, I mean, I was, I was making deals from the moment I got to school until lunchtime. Then you get to high school. And when you get to high school, the game changes a little bit because now you're not carrying around a lunch pail. That looks stupid. Um, the brown bag thing is kind of like, it's almost awkward because high school boys eat so much that you almost can't put it in a, in a brown bag. So then I started getting money, which presents a different problem, right? If one is prone to trade or to barter or to do other things, money is as good as it gets. That's the universal language of love on a high school campus. Everybody speaks fluent money ease. And so I could go in there and I could do different things. And then that was if I could survive the vending machines. My high school had vending machines on the campus. And you would walk by and like a, a, you know, a, a, a smoldering glass temptress, it stood there before you. And it had Twix and it had Reese's peanut butter cups and it had A&W root beer and it had Dr. Pepper and it had uh, cookies and all that stuff. And not that junk they force on you at schools now. I'm talking real food. The stuff, you know what I mean? Now we give that stuff out on Halloween only. Um, but back in those days, it was just there. And so I could take the couple bucks or whatever I was given and just buy Reese's. Coke. Chips. I was happy. I was happy. The problem was, that's not healthy, right? And if my mother, who watches these videos and is just finding this out right now, 
if, if, if I had let my mom know that, then she probably wouldn't give me the money. My own daughter, now in college, was presented with a choice of meal plans. Meal plan A is kind of like the, you know, the Rolls Royce of meal plans. You put in a ton of money and they can kind of get whatever they want. Uh, you have another one like two or three levels down or whatever, kind of different grades of food and stuff. And then you have the option that, that she presented me with, which given what I just told you was an easy decision. You know, Dad, the other thing you could do is just give me money and I'll buy the food. That's a no. Nope, nope, because I know what I would have done. And even my daughter, who's pretty disciplined with some of that stuff, I'm like, no, I want to make sure you eat. Because the point of the, of the money is to feed you. Daily bread, if you will. I want you, okay, to create in your mind a vending machine. A glass menagerie of temptation that you stock with your own weaknesses. You know what they are. If you need ideas and you have a friend or a spouse close by, they can give them to you afterwards. It can be large items, cars, vacations. Um, some of you are tech nerds and you love the latest uh, gadget or iPhone. Throw that in there. Could be food for some of you. Could be booze. Could it be tickets to the big game, vacations, whatever. You stock your own vending machine, okay? with whatever it would take to get you to spend money that should be spent elsewhere on that. Okay? Have you got it? Okay, when I say vending machine going forward, that's the image I want you to have in your head. Your vending machine, the place where responsibility goes to die that you created in your own head. All right? That's what I want you to think of. Okay, now, bookmark that. Uh, this past week, I was teaching Old Testament to some college students. And I was trying to help them understand the Ten Commandments and law and how it functions. And so I asked them, I said, create an ideal world. You all say you want to change the world and blah, blah, blah. All right, let's try it. New society, you write out your Ten Commandments. You're the Pope or whatever, the emperor. You can write the laws. You only get ten, though, and they have to apply to everybody. All right? Sit down and let's write them. Right? So 40 college kids send in their Ten Commandments to me. Hmm. On the one hand, I weep for the future. On the other hand, uh, I was kind of impressed. And what it did was it gave me good insight into, into what they value. Right? And that was my point to them. When God gives us Scripture, laws, it's His self-revelation. Okay? He's, he's letting us know who He is, what He values. Right? So in their case... It, it was some version of, the, t the two most common were some version of don't kill. That's a good one, right? And the other one was literally don't litter. That's number two. So I told him, I said, we're going to have a very clean, broke country is what we're going to have. <laughs> but it's going to be clean. And everybody will, you know, nobody will get killed. So that's a plus. But then everything else, there was some version of don't cheat on your significant other's. And as I wove them down, I said, look, honestly, guys, these are not terribly different than the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not murder. Right, those kind of things. I said, but what you did was you gave me a sense of what you value. Okay? You gave me a sense of where your heart is, what you think is important. 
said, so when you read the Ten Commandments, when you read the law, what you're getting is God's revelation of himself and what he values. All right? So what I'm about to give you today, all right, is directly from Jesus himself. We just sang he's our living hope. I'm counting on you to embrace what he says. If he's your living hope, then you can take his words and drink deeply from them, not resent them, but embrace them as words of life, things that give life to us, that keep us from uh, drowning in our own uh, vending machine land. We're going to talk today, get it, and then lock the doors to keep people from leaving. We're going to talk about money because he did all the time. It's actually his favorite subject other than the kingdom of God. And so he talks about it all the time, and it wasn't because... um, it wasn't because he was always out raising money for things or because his clientele, if you will, his listeners were wealthy. In fact, it was quite the opposite. They were pretty ordinary people for the most part from everything we know. Now, there were some. You have Zacchaeus. You got Nicodemus. You got some people that have some power. They got some money here or there. But he talked about the dangers and blessings of material things all the time. In fact, he does it so often that one could, if they just read it as a blank slate, if he were a preacher, they might say he talks about it too much. So we're going to look at a passage that is, occupies some prime real estate in the teachings of Jesus. It's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Go ahead and get your Bibles open and Bible apps. You guys should know by now just to do it automatically when you sit down here at NBC. Um, but if you're new, get them open. All right. As we look at what God has to say to us through Scripture about money and our relationship to it, I hope that we find out that the primary matter really has to do with who will be God. That's the question Jesus seems to think is involved here. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Here we go. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, wherever th- and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, this is a good one to underline, by the way, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, let's take a look at what he says there. He starts, treasures on earth are fragile. Treasures in heaven are eternal, okay? Treasures in heaven last forever. Treasures on earth will be gone in a flash. God is fairly consistent in teaching this, and even by example, right before this, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray like this. In that prayer, give us this day our daily bread. It's right there. Perhaps an allusion to manna in the wilderness. God, when he's feeding his people, doesn't give them stockpiles of stuff. He gives them manna. Manna, this kind of miraculous bread-like substance that lays there on the ground in the morning, and it goes rotten by the evening. There's only a day, they're only supposed to take a day's rations worth. They're not supposed to try and stock it up or whatever. Whenever they try, it goes bad anyway. And so he gives them this magical stuff. And why, doesn't, why does he do that? Why did he just give them uh, 
you know, a, a whole, just send flocks and flocks of, of uh, cows and goats or whatever it was that they ate back then and let them eat that stuff. There was a reason for it. And it was for them to learn to depend on God. And get up. And you get your daily bread that God provides for you every single day. And so when Jesus gets to the institution of the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't say, give me the Bentley and the big house. It's give me my daily bread, please, Lord. You know, it's like in school where you have the sandwiches that mom put in there. If it was peanut butter and honey, then the honey would start soaking through the bread. By the next day, it was nasty. You didn't want to eat it. And if it was like ham and cheese or something like that, cheese could go, or cheese product or whatever was put on there would get bad. And you wouldn't want to eat it the next day either. It was almost like that. It's like, you got to eat it today if you want it, like donuts or something. Nobody want day-old donuts. They're still better than no donuts. But Let's admit that, that, that day-old donuts are not as good as the others, right? So when you have the experience of having to eat those things, having to, to try to eat stuff that's already gone bad or, uh, you know, ever try to get that last glass of milk out of the one that's probably should have been sold five days before or six days before you pull the lid off, you know what you're dealing with. Okay, that's kind of how manna was, and it's how stuff gets on the earth, I mean, have you ever noticed financially, when it rains, it pours, man. Like, all the disasters happen at the same time. Like, why couldn't, you know, th- does the car have to break, the kid get a toothache, you know, the, 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 somebody breaks, a, some kid throwing a ball breaks a window at your house. Uh, you know, you get, a, you get a surprise bill from somebody that you'd forgotten about. Uh, your car registrations due. Everything happens in, like, one week. And you're like, we were doing fine. And all of a sudden, it's like, what happened? They're just gone. Uh, or those of you who've ever had the unfortunate experience of being robbed, um, what that feels like and how... I remember um, when I was coming home for Christmas one year from college, in those days, the, the Christmas break was really long, and I packed up everything I had in this world pretty much and put it in the back. I had a pickup truck with a camper on it. I went to the mall to get my mom a Christmas present because I hadn't done it yet. I, was, I seriously was in there 20 minutes. I came out and it had been stolen. And everything I had was in it. They found it on Christmas Eve in Bell Gardens on blocks. Everything gone. Everything that was in it was gone. The tires were gone. Man, this was Long Beach, right? Anything can happen. If it's not bolted to the ground and welded there, it's gone, <laughs> right? And I just remember what it felt like. It was like, what am I going to do? Everything. Everything I had in this world's gone, and I don't have the money to replace it. Well, Jesus says the nature of stuff in this world, thieves break in and steal. Moth and rust destroy. So you can try. You can try to to cling to it if you want. But at the end of the day, that's a futile mission. Jesus says that our treasures on this earth are so, so fragile. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Sometimes it just decays on you. I mean, this week, when you see it, I mean, notice the odometer this week on your car, you know, starting to tick up. Notice the gas tank going down. Notice your checking account balance going down. Notice it and give thanks to God. Say, God, thank you for the reminder of that scripture this week. That, that's the nature of stuff. It doesn't stay forever, right? 
it begins to decline. It begins to, to shrink and to go down. Um, and I think there's a difference between storing up for yourself treasures on earth and then storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. So, I'm a pastor. I get asked still by people to go with them to NFL football games on Sunday during church. Um, even people in the church will ask me this from time to time. I bet I have probably turned down north of 100 NFL invites over the course of my, my life. And I don't do it begrudgingly. I don't get mad about it. Um, and nor do I hold it personally against anybody who does it, I guess. But I did have this epiphany at one point. It's like, and, and so if you apply this to time, okay, instead of money, think about it this way. Okay, if I had three or four hours, uh, I can either use it to be with God's people, invest in people, preach the word, do those things, or I can go to a football game. Okay, that I can watch on television later or whatever, or I can go see a football game. In one particular day, it's probably not the end of the world. But when I continue to do that over and over and over again, uh, I begin to hit the vending machine with my time. I start doing things that satiate the flesh rather than putting treasures in heaven apart. And then the irony is, you wake up one day and your football team moves anyway. Why? So they can make more money. So people were pouring their money into that team only to have them pack up and go so they can make more money. Right? Um, treasures in heaven, treasures on earth. 38 bucks a month, I can buy half of a football ticket. Same thing for a month, I can give a kid in a third world country food, health care, and education, help them uh, get to know Jesus, all that. Treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. Does it mean it's ever wrong to do that? No, it's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, when all you do is eat out of the vending machine, right, then you end up lazy, sluggish, and fat from a spiritual perspective. And so what he's trying to do, going back to the way that God talks about uh, himself in the Ten Commandments and in Scripture, he's not doing it because he hates us. He's, on the contrary, he's saying, no, 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 don't store up stuff that's going to rot and go bad on you. And then you have this weird thing in here. Uh, our hearts, uh, he's talking about the eye. Eye is the lamp of the body. And you know, if your eye is bad, then, the whole, then you have darkness. And if it's dark, then how great is the darkness? It seems kind of out of context here, like, it, like it's almost belonged somewhere else. But it's right in here. And so a lot of pastors, when they preach this text, kind of gloss over that. I think it's, it's very, very important to this to, keep it, to, to, to read it in context right there because... What he seems to be saying is your eye is the lamp of the body, and if it goes out, everything's out. And he's drawing an analogy to the idea of being wrong within, in your heart toward money. That if that's broken or that's off, everything's off. That's why he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, but if your eyes go out, everything's dark. And when it's dark, how dark is it? And then he goes on and talks about not being able to you know, serve two masters, all this stuff. So you have this analogy to blindness. So what you're saying is, if I 
and beholden to things and to money and treasures on earth. My life as I know it, my heart toward God, what you're saying is I can't be wrong toward money and right toward God. No one can serve two masters. Where your treasures will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now to us, we're so used to trying to do both at the same time that it's almost offensive to hear. Right? What do you mean I can't serve two masters? I have my whole life, is what many of us are thinking. You know? Or we say, with my heart, my heart's with God. And what Jesus is saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you say, my treasure's not with God, but my heart is, he's saying, no, your heart actually is wherever your treasure is. That's the order he puts it in. Uh, one of my favorite little books is called The Pearl by John Steinbeck. John Steinbeck's my favorite fiction author. Um, and he has a lot of very spiritual themes running through. He's a good California man. There's a lot of reasons to like Steinbeck. He writes The Pearl, a little tiny book. You could read it over lunch almost. But man, is that thing deep. In it, you have a young man by the name of Kino. He's a young dad. He's in some sort of island nation. And Kino has a baby uh, and a wife. One day, a scorpion gets into their tent and stings his baby. So they take their baby and they rush to the doctor. The doctor says, I'd love to be able to help you, but I'm not going to help you if you don't have any money. So he says, we got to go get some money. And so they get in a little boat, they go out to sea, and they go looking for pearls. And they don't just find pearls. They find the pearl. I mean, the big one, the big kahuna. This thing must have been like a bowling ball or something. The dream pearl that people had only thought about in their dreams. So he finds the pearl. And of course, instantly, of course, he's practically can buy the doctor and his house and everything else with this pearl. He goes in and all of a sudden he's got a sense of pride. And now the village that used to look down on him is looking at him with admiration. And everything's going great, it seems. But then slowly he begins to change and the village begins to change toward him. Here's how Steinbeck puts it. He says, every man suddenly became related to Kino's pearl. And Kino's pearl went into the dreams, the speculations, the schemes, the plans, the futures, the wishes, the needs, the lusts, the hungers of everyone. And only one person stood in the way, and that was Kino. So that he became, curiously, every man's enemy. The news stirred up something infinitely black and evil in the town. The black distillate was like the scorpion, or like hunger in the smell of food, or like loneliness when love is withheld. The poison sacks of the town began to manufacture venom, and the town swelled and puffed with the pressure of it. So other than wishing I could write like Steinbeck, I'm going to tell you, did you hear that? He's saying, oh, everybody loved him for a while, but then all of a sudden, that pearl that he had, everybody began to covet that thing, and they started to turn on him. And so what was admiration that he'd always wanted now starts to become jealousy and envy. And then what gets even stranger is that he starts to change. He starts to get arrogant and rude. He behaves violently toward his wife. He also, his greed ends up leading to his son's death and ultimately to his detachment from the community. In the end, he loses everything that was good about his life to the pearl. And in the sad ending of the story, the pearl 
rots in his hands. So now he's left with nothing and no pearl. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That is the nature of stuff. You can have it for a while, and even if you got a lot. He says, if you're storing up treasures on earth, okay, the nature of it is that of the pearl that will rot in your hands. But if you're storing up treasures in heaven, well, that pearl, that pearl is different. In fact, Jesus even kind of alludes to it uh, in Matthew 13, 45 to 36. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He's saying, there is a pearl that's worth taking everything you have and selling it in order to get that. And he's saying, that's the kingdom. Jesus is the pearl. Now, there's others like fake pearls. True story. I went to a charity auction at one point, and they had all this jewelry, big fancy gemstones and stuff. Somebody died and given their uh, estate to things. And anyways, there were there were, um, they had an auction for this stuff. So I looked, and it was dirt cheap. It's like, hey, this is, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that. And I sit down, and I'm like bidding, you know, fairly low amounts for things, hoping maybe I get, I swept the whole thing. I got all these big gemstones, man. I was stoked. And I was like, brought them home, and I bragged about it to my wife. I said, look how smart your husband is, man. Look, at, we, just, we, just, we just turned this family around, man. Look at this, you know? Well, they all turned out to be fake, every one of them, every single one of them. You know why nobody else bid on them? Because somebody who knows what the real thing looks like could tell by looking at it. I couldn't, because all I'd seen was fakes. I'd never seen like a big ruby, not a real one. Seen, seen them in movies and stuff. But my guess is all those, you know, Rich ladies that were there at the auction looked at that and said, and put it away because they, they knew it was bogus. Okay? I'm a pastor. I'm telling you today, the stuff the world offers you is bogus. Do not, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And I watch people, man, whoo, they go about this life and they sweep the auction. Look at all this stuff we got, man. Can you believe it? Look at the house. Look at the cars. Look at the fame. Look at the notoriety. Look how cool I am. Look how pretty I am. Look how charming I am. Look how handsome I am. Whatever. And it's like, oh. And you can watch it rot. You can watch it. That's what Jesus is trying to do for us. He's saying, don't store up that stuff. Store up treasures in heaven because you can't serve both God and money. There can't be two masters in your life, he says, and that money can become your master. Can it really? Can't we serve a couple of masters at the same time? Can Jesus be the first, my, my, my best, you know, my, my, my main boss and I can, have a, I can have a direct report to money? No. There's one master, Jesus says. He's not exaggerating. The biblical witness is pretty unanimous on this front. Paul echoes in part what Jesus says when he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, 
It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. In Greek, he literally says, they have impaled themselves. They've run themselves through with the love of money. It's as Jesus prophesied, Matthew 13, in the parable of the soils. He says, as what was sown among the thorns, that's the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus says that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. We need to believe him as much as the advertisers do that send us piles of junk mail advertising it, saying, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, here's it all. And, and offering us all that fake stuff, the fake jewelry, the fake this, whatever's in your vending machine, okay? I'm not an expert in much, but I've, I've watched people do this thing enough, okay? For 45 years, I've been watching people wreck themselves on this one. Those of you who have ever been in severe financial distress, you know what that's like, and you know how all-consuming that is. You can't think about anything else. There is a dark cloud over your head. It's like there's a cosmic foot on your chest. And on the other side, those of you who have realized that all of a sudden uh, you had piled up all of this stuff only to get the letter one day that says the company was going to be downsizing or getting the news that there was a new virus that was coming onto the scene that everybody needed to know about or being told, you know what, honey, I'm leaving you after all these years. You know the truth, the harsh truth about what Jesus says too. And that's the thing is what Jesus is trying to do is say, hey, here's something gracious for you that will help you, sister or brother. This will bless your life because what's stored up over here can't be taken away from you. Nobody can take Jesus away from you. Nobody can take your faith away from you. Nobody can take away treasures in heaven because that's got the lock of locks on it and there's one master over that storehouse. This one, though, on the other hand, there's no way to lock it. There's no way to secure it over here because the nature of it is that it's all rotting. It's like the pearl that rots in Kino's hands. When we obey God's commandments and teachings about money, we don't have to worry about it. Let me explain. Um, the Bible says that he who is faithful with little will be given more. He opens the storehouse, if you will, for those that trust him. He's not interested in supplying our Twix habit, our Reese's habits. And he tends to bless those who obey him. The more we follow him, the more he blesses. And he says this, right after what I just, what the text we just read, he says this. Therefore, Matthew 6, 25 to 34, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you follow God's leading, you can trust his provision. Now, this is different from a person who follows their own leading and gets mad at God for the lack of results. But when you follow his, meaning I'm not storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. I'm storing up treasures in heaven. You can trust that you're going to be provided for. doesn't mean you're going to be rich. It just means he will take care of you in a way that you don't have to wake, put your head uh, down on the pillow at night in anxiety and worry and fear. Trust God's provision. Trust it. And then step forward into obedience. All right, what do we do then, preacher? Well, put your treasure where you want your heart to be. Listen, passion, following your passion is stupid. Let me explain. I know, I know. That's what, what are you talking about? I mean, that's about as apple pie as you get in America. Follow your passion. No, 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 no. I have a passion for all sorts of things that are bad for me and the people around me. The stuff that I need to be doing the stuff that I need to do is about discipline. Let me give you an example. I have a passion for being extremely physically fit. You may too. And you know what? That does nothing. You know what that does? Uh, you see that? What you heard right there? That's what it does. Nothing. You know what actually gets you fit? Going to the gym, watching what you eat, doing those things, that allows you to actually do it. And if you cared that much, you would do that. But we don't. We don't care enough to go through the process of doing that. Now, I could draw any, any layer of passion-driven baloney that you want. Test this, okay? In any aspect of life, Follow your passion. No. What Jesus is saying is, if you want your passion to be somewhere, you put your behavior there. Your passion will follow. Put on the outfit, go to the gym, get on a bike, and start pedaling. And you know what? You're going to start getting more excited about working out. But if you, all you do is sit in your house taking Instagram pictures of you getting ready to go to the gym because you're passionate about it, that doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. Okay, even, even spiritually. I watch people do this all the time. They'll, they'll talk about how passionate they are for God, how passionate they are for the gospel. Don't do squat for the gospel. They don't open the word. They don't pray. They're not in community with people. They don't give. They don't attend. They don't do anything. But they claim they're passionate. What Jesus is saying is, no, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He doesn't say put your money where your heart is. I mean, if we did that, I mean, all of our money would be, for some of us, it would be in alcohol. 
or, it's, or, or, or travel sports or whatever. It's not about funding your passion. It's about allowing your passion to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus and then trusting him with the results of that, trusting that he knows better. I'm a struggler on this one just like everybody else, but man, let me tell you, we get this so backwards. It's not go put your money where your passion is. It's where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you don't believe it, go take a look at where your money's going and see where your passions are. See if he's wrong. The reason you never miss a travel sports game for your kids is because it costs you a lot of money, right? So, the reason that, fill in the blank, okay, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So, that means conforming our behavior to fit what we would even like our passions to be. Uh, Number two, if you're in trouble financially, reach out to us. We got some really good, wise financial minds in the church that would love to do that. Pray with you, pastor, any of that kind of stuff. But it's going to begin with getting the first part, right? Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Now, another lie we tell ourselves is that that stuff is only for people who are rich. Man, is that a bunch of baloney too. And that's what we should have in our lunch boxes, bologna sandwiches. We serve that up like crazy. No, it's not just for that. In fact, Jesus actually goes out of his way to say, no, no, no. I'll give you two examples. One, he looks over one day and he sees a widow down to her last coin. She goes over and puts it in the temple treasury box. And he says, you see that? That's what I'm talking about. He doesn't run up to her and say, no, 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 no. You don't need to do that. The rich will take care of that. You just save what you have. He looks at that and he says, that's what giving looks like. That's the kind of giving that pleases God. Go and do likewise, okay? Another parable of the talents, we read it all the time. Uh, He gives different amounts to different people. A talent was a unit of money, five, two, and one. For the two faithful ones at the top, the five and the two, they get the same reward. It's not, it's not about proportion, okay? It's not, or amount, I should say. It's about sacrifice. It's about heart. And so you can give a lot and have it be worthless in the sight of God. Worthless. Um, the other bogus one is the infamous God loves a cheerful giver line, which, yes, he does. But in that text, what's going on there? He's not saying give when, you're, when you can enjoy doing it. He's saying adjust your attitude. Fix your attitude. If you're giving and you're doing it begrudgingly, fix your attitude. Don't just say, well, I don't want to give today, and God wouldn't be happy if I gave it with a bad attitude, so I'm just not going to do that. Saying no, get your attitude together, Christian. Right? So, why does this matter? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. What we read in Scripture is a revelation of the character and the nature of God. And if we trust him, and the gospel says he's trustworthy, okay, then when we hear these things, I listen to them, and like the psalmist, I say, ah, they are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than honey. They make wise the simple. They are, ooh, 
how I love the law. Blessed are those who don't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the seat of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. So when Jesus tells me, son, here's your lunch today. Twice a month, I get my proverbial lunch box put in my hand. Then the question becomes, all right, what am I going to do with it now? He's given it to me to provide daily bread for my family and to help further his work in this world. Those are the two priorities. The other stuff comes after those two things. Now it's my turn. I got kids and they're out. They're going to have their own money. And I wonder, would I, have I taught them well? Have I helped them? Have I trained their eye enough to recognize the fake jewels from the real pearls? You know, I'm still terrible at judging that stuff. That's why I try to listen to people <clears throat> that really know. He knows. Let's trust him. Uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper now, as we do every week here at New Vintage. Um, this is our time to reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross. Um, you should have gotten the elements when you came in, in little bags. Um, if you'd like one, we do have ushers coming up and down the aisle. Put your hand in the air. Uh, we got one down here. When it's time, and we've got one here. But as we do, <laughs> it's all right, man. Um, nothing to be sorry for. But as we do this, I want you to think and reflect uh, on what Jesus did for you. And then let this nudge us all toward tr trusting him more than we did when we walked in here. In every aspect of our lives, um, but especially this one. Let's not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Let's put our, our, our money where we want our hearts to be. Let's lift him up as our one true master. And let's not be anxious. Let's trust him. Look at the lilies of the field, birds of the air. This roof was off. Maybe you'd see a bird flying over. And he goes, birds don't do anything. They don't do anything to provide for themselves. God still provides for them. Don't you think he's going to do that for you? So let's trust him today as we take the bread and the cup, which represents the body and blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with bread and cup now, we say we trust you. We say, Father, that whatever you say to us, whatever commands you give us, whatever admonitions you give us, encouragement, examples, Father, we want it all. We want to, to live the way that you've called us to live. Father, put away from us the things that occupy our vending machines. But instead, Father, let us, let us help, uh, help others see uh, the truth that you are the real pearl. And so, Father, help us to eschew uh, fake pearls of this world, Father, but to reach for one that is eternal, and that is you and your kingdom. We
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.